Welcome to the Physician Pharmacist Podcast, a show designed to shed some light on a very unusual pathway into medicine. I'm your host, Nathan Gartland. I'm a licensed pharmacist and third-year medical student. I'm also the author of PharmD to MD and the owner of the Physician Pharmacist Company. As you know, this podcast primarily focuses on the medical school journey, but today we're taking a brief hiatus away from medicine to talk about pharmacy residencies. I believe there are many parallels between the medical school application process and the residency application process, and I hope to explore some of these concepts with our special guest, Dr. Daniel Scalotta. Dr. Scalotta is a licensed pharmacist who graduated from Duquesne University uh, School of Pharmacy in 2021. He continued his postdoctoral journey by completing a PGY-1 pharmacy residency at the Johns Hopkins Hospital. He elected to continue his training at the Johns Hopkins Hospital by signing on for a PGY-2 Oncology Pharmacy Residency, where he currently serves approximately halfway through of his tenure there. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dan Scalotta. Hey, Dr. Gartland. Thanks for having me. It's a, a pleasure to be on. I think this is a, a great idea for you to have, uh, you know, a pharmacy resident on to kind of talk about that process for, you know, people who are, may still be deciding or, or have some questions yet to be answered. So happy to be here. Exactly. And what kind of what we were talking about in the pre-minutes of this uh, episode I always push for medicine, 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 but I think it's also good to hear from the alternative side for people who, you know, were thinking about medicine, but then sided with the residency option. So I'm hoping to explore a lot of that today with you. So let's take things way back. What initially got you started in pharmacy in the first place? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think for me in, you know, way back in high school, I took a you know, advanced chemistry course, um, my junior year was a, you know, through like an AP course through the college that was, that was near my high school. And I did well in it and I enjoyed the content area. And I knew like peripherally that I wanted to do something healthcare related, kind of just being a little altruistic, to be honest. Um, and I, I, I did explore some options, you know, dentistry, uh, thought about medical school for a little bit in high school. And then later on in, in pharmacy school, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later on, but Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up uh, shadowing somebody that my grandma had known um, in a, a small independent pharmacy in Youngstown, Ohio, and I, I really enjoyed it at the time. So that was kind of the the path I started pursuing. And then when it was time to do um, college visits, I was looking at uh, colleges with with schools of pharmacy and and kind of just got sold into the program, um, you know, just because it made a lot of sense um, logistically. You, you know, a lot of schools have uh, zero to six programs. Uh, especially the ones that were in in the area that I was looking. Um, so it made a lot of sense to do. And then, you know, uh, that was kind of what, what first got my foot in the door. And then through undergrad, taking the, you know, more chemistry classes, um, OCHEM and, uh, you know, preparing for pharmacy, talking to to people in the professional phase, that kind of confirmed my decision that, you know, I wanted to con- continue down this path and and pursue medicine in the form of pharmacy. That's awesome. And to clarify, so you did two years of undergrad and then four years of graduate school. So you did like the two plus four program, correct, correct for correct. the listeners? Okay, awesome. And so I guess when you entered pharmacy school, what kind of path were you thinking you were going to take? Um, were you thinking community pharmacy? Did you know off the bat that you wanted to do a pharmacy residency or were you just kind of leaving things open? Yeah, I think th- this is uh, challenging probably for everybody um, because you when you're you know, young, just out of high school and entering the field of pharmacy, you don't really know what is out there, uh, which was true for me. Um, I was at the time working at, um, in a community pharmacy in a grocery store, and I enjoyed it. I was, I was good at the job and I enjoyed the the face-to-face interactions with people and, and helping patients, you know, in real time, having that, you know, one-on-one contact with them. And I, and I, I liked it a lot. And then as I got into the professional phase of pharmacy school, I had a, a really unique uh, internship experience in a home infusion pharmacy where we did, um, you know, a lot of IV compounding um, and also on, on the clinical side of things, a lot of um, patient outreach, seeing how patients were doing with their infusions, whether it was antibiotics or TPNs or chemotherapy. Um, and, and I enjoyed that as well. And there was like a small uh, a clinical aspect that I got to participate in as an, as an, an intern and kind of would um, go to my mentors at my internship and be like, hey, can I help out with this or, or do a little bit more? And that was kind of my you know, first introduction, you know, early, early on in pharmacy school to to what that clinical work looks like. Mm-hmm. And then as we went through our um, curriculum at, at Duquesne, uh, you start to see a lot more of what a clinical pharmacist can offer and you get to your uh, rotation experiences and you're in the hospital with clinical pharmacists. 
um, and you start to see the impact that they have. So I think as I progressed through, I didn't know necessarily at the beginning that I wanted to do hospital work, mostly because I didn't really know um, what was out there. But as I as I went through the curriculum, I saw the impact that a pharmacist can have, you know, rounding with a team and, and what that looked like. And I think it was probably my third year that I was pretty sure that I wanted to do to do that kind of work. And to do that, usually you have to pursue some sort of residency training. So it was at that point that I kind of started preparing for for that that path. That's awesome. And I think that's how a lot of people kind of get into that residency mindset is they kind of work in a hospital setting that plants the seeds. And it's nice that you had that early on because it kind of gave you almost like a head start. Um, obviously, a lot of people have to start thinking about it during third year, but you kind of already had those those crops planted and you were kind of growing on that. So that's awesome. And so obviously, and then Appy Rotations kind of you know advanced that belief and, and kind of established that like, this definitely is something I want to do. At what point did you think about medical school then? Um, I know that you were kind of playing around with that option. Yeah, yeah. It was, I think, my P2 year, so the second professional year. So this was, you know, just as I was discovering clinical pharmacy, um, I, I was actually, I was my, my roommate and I at that time, who was also who was one of my best friends from high school and also a, a pharmacy student as well. We were, we were sitting there studying for an exam and we were, you know, just kind of thinking about that we were doing well in pharmacy school, like we were, you know, we were challenged, but uh, doing well. And we kind of thought, well, you know, maybe we, medical school is something we, sh we should consider um, just because it seems like the next logical step. And uh, like I was telling you in the, in the pre-meeting notes, one of my my friends from high school, his dad was the uh, involved with admissions at a, a school of medicine. And, and we had called him up on the phone and started talking about, you know, when exactly we would be able to get into medical medical school, what that would look like, what the curriculum looks like um and and what that application process is like and we did seriously consider it for you know i don't know maybe a good week or so um and then it you know it, it turned out that you know the money wouldn't work and we would have to you know finish pharmacy school and then go on to do that where it would have been mm -hmm. a little bit more desirable to even just leave pharmacy school at the time and, and go right into medical school and maybe cut, might have cut out a year and perhaps if i had listened to your episode with uh um yeah the uh financial pharmacist his name is tim albrecht <laughs> um, I, that would have changed my decision, but, uh, you know, it, it just, it, it, when we, when we weighed the pros and cons of what, you know, what we could do as a pharmacist, uh, versus the, the kind of barrier to entry to get into medical, medical school, that was kind of what dissuaded us from doing that. And, you know, to pursue more clinical routes in pharmacy, because, you know, you're doing, you know, ultimately very similar things, uh, just with a, a different lens, um, as a, a clinical pharmacist in a hospital setting. Yeah, I love that. I think, with a lot of pharmacy individuals, they don't really realize that, you know, going to medical school is even a potential option. And I think yeah. that's what leads to some of the regret maybe down in the future where they think to themselves like, wow, I, that's something I never knew about, but it's too late for me to consider. Mm -hmm. And yeah. just having that exposure, you saw it and you were like, nope, no way. Like this isn't the right path for me. Mm -hmm. Pharmacy is where my heart kind of lies. And that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. And I think you, because you had that option to kind of cross off the medical school journey or just other journeys in general, I think that's great because mm -hmm. I think a lot of pharmacy schools kind of funnel you down one pathway. They yeah. say like, oh, you're going to be a community pharmacist or oh, like maybe you should consider residency if you're qualified. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you're doing really well in, in school and whatnot. And yeah. they don't really give all the other, you know, extraneous details of maybe you could be a nuclear pharmacist or you could be, you know, a medical school. You could go to medical school or even get your law degree afterwards. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great that you were able to to have that experience and then cross it off the list. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's you know it's it's not to say that I you know wouldn't have enjoyed that as a, as a career path as well. It, there's just so much, so many potential options in in pharmacy that I was like, you know, let let me just maximize this that I have. Um, rather absolutely, than, you know, if it's something. not broke, why you know <laughs> why try <laughs> to fix it? <laughs> so. Very good. So obviously you got into residency. Um, so for a lot of our uh, listeners today, let's talk a little bit more about the residency application process, because there are a lot of parallels between what makes for a qualified residency applicant as it does for a qualified medical school applicant. So do you mind telling us a little bit more about what, once you kind of settled on pharmacy residencies, what did you really need to do to make sure that you would get into the program of your dreams? Yeah, that's, that's, a great question because I think no no matter what program you're trying to get into, whether that's pharmacy residency or medical residency, your process is going to look largely the same. 
the boxes that you need to check, I would imagine are largely the same. And you could speak maybe more to the getting into the medical school side of things than I can. But mm-hmm. um, for for me, the biggest things uh, with differentiating yourself from your peers is uh, threefold. Um, the first, do well academically. Um, but that is by no means a be all end all. And for a lot of programs, that is just kind of like something they look at peripherally for their candidates. So it's, it is, as I listed that first and I don't want to give the impression that that's the most important because it is absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are, are doing okay academically, that's a, a good start and, and usually um, allows you to be more flexible on the other things that you're doing. Those other things that you need to do are professional involvement, whether that is with uh, local organizations um, at your school of pharmacy or regionally or nationally. Obviously, the higher you go, the better that looks for you as a candidate. But if you can get in- involved with um, organizations, especially in the leadership capacity, uh, that will be incredibly beneficial for you as as a candidate, um, especially for residency. And I'm sure uh, medical schools will look at that as well. Mm-hmm. And then the last would be getting involved in, in research in some capacity. For me, I I wish I would have, if I could go back and do it again, I would have get, gotten involved with research earlier on in my, my pharmacy school career um, and, and had a, a maybe a little bit more lab experience, which I'm sure having lab experience would help you a ton for uh, medical schools. Um, but for me, what I did was actually took a, an API rotation, so a six-year rotation, um, doing uh, strict, strictly doing research. So it was a, a five-week experience that we did. Um, we actually ended up doing a systematic review and did the whole thing in five weeks and ended up getting it published, um, which was really nice. So if you have research experience and are able to get it published, that's going to look really well for you uh, as well. So I think those three things, if you could, you know, if you're early on in pharmacy school and you're thinking, what should I do to differentiate myself? Those are kind of the the big three boxes to check um, and and start thinking about and how exactly you want to get involved in those things. That's awesome. Yeah, I definitely agree with a lot of those those points right there. Um, acad- academic proficiency is pretty much an expectation at this point. It's mm-hmm. one of those things like, oh, you did well in school. So did everyone else you're sitting here at this interview with. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's kind of like the bottom bottom barrel. Obviously, it's important and it's not mm-hmm. a total disqualifier because, you know, there's a holistic review that occurs. Exactly. But um, it's definitely one of the main foundation points for an application. And correct me if I'm wrong. Um and then additionally, like you said, the professional organizations, being involved in your community, being involved in, you know, advancing the profession is super, super important for, you know, healthcare in general. So mm-hmm. that's something that they also appreciate in medical school applications. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously research is just kind of a no brainer. Like everyone is kind of expected to, to get some research under their belt, get some exposure yeah. to that side of, of science and mm-hmm. kind of translating that from, you know, bench work, experimental research to clinical research, I think, is also important to have. Um, And you recommended, obviously, starting early for Mm -hmm. a lot of students. Um, So I would recommend, you know, basically PY one year, survive the first semester, (laughs) you know, (laughs) good exactly, you know, make sure you're you're handling the new graduate level responsibilities. But after that, maybe start looking around, fishing around for some research preceptors. And if you can't find anything super concrete at that point, I'd recommend you apply for a summer research program mm. for that following summer. Yeah. You might have, you know, API rotation or excuse me, IPI rotations during that time period. But um, I definitely recommend you, you kind of squeeze that in at some point um, just because that can really serve as a launch pad to get a lot of research by basically getting established in a research um, you know, facility for 10 weeks. You're kind of guaranteed to get some some really good exposure. And it's amazing that you guys were able to publish in five weeks. Um, I remember <laughs> I remember that rotation. They offered it at um, mm-hmm. at Duquesne, but I, I foolishly did not sign up for it. <laughs> it, it. It really it was a, a whirlwind of an experience, but a really good experience. And I'm honestly very proud of the paper we got out of it. It was it was wonderful. The the one other thing too, I'll say uh, that is that was really beneficial for me, um, and I think it will probably resonate more with the audience members who want to go into pharmacy residency rather than than medical school. Although, although maybe this could apply as well as. Uh, but when you're looking at programs and you're you're you know going through the mid-year process for the people who are interested in pharmacy and and you know starting to think about where you want to be, what was really beneficial for me was going to not mid-year was great, don't get me wrong, mid-year was a, a great experience and you got to see a lot of programs and and you know figure out what your fit in that place was. But going to regional um regional mm-hmm. conferences. So mm-hmm. for me it was the Maryland Society of Health System Pharmacy um conference. 
it's a much more intimate setting where you can actually have one-on-one one-on-one time or or you know one on a few time with program directors and and preceptors and other residents in that area and you doing that allows them to to see your name and know your face and have a conversation with you before the actual interview. So once you are interviewing with them, if you are really lucky enough to get an interview, um, it's, hey, nice to see you again, not, hey, nice to meet you. And you could really just bring into a larger conversation, a more in-depth conversation during your interview that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. That's a great point right there. Like going to one of these smaller conferences, like you said, where it might be one-on-one and then showing up to mid-year later on and saying like, oh, uh, they can pick your face out of a massive crowd of people that's hoarding around them. So, exactly. And, exactly. and obviously at interviews too. So I think that's, that's such good information right there. Exactly. Um, and we're talking about residency applications at this point. So do you mind just kind of walking me through the cycle, like the application cycle? I'm not as familiar myself since I'm, I've been displaced for some time now, but um, <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about it and help, you know, maybe shed some light on yeah. what it's like for some of our listeners? Yeah, honestly, honestly, it's been it's been you know about a year, about two years now since I I've been applying. So it's I'm, I might be a little rusty, but the the process is um, you know generally sim. I I would imagine it's similar to how it is with med schools, maybe just a little bit smaller. But uh, basically, when you're applying to uh, pharmacy residencies, you'll use what what is called Forecast. It's a website through I think AS, AS, ASHP runs it, but. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you'll use that primarily for, for your applications and that's where you'll submit them all. But what you need to do first is figure out, um, you know, where you want to go, what you're looking for in the program and um, where you want to be geographically, if, if that's a, a, a concern for you. So once you do that, you, you, you know, you start to get your list of programs and then you go to conferences and you go to mid-year and, and, you know, you're determining not only if that program is right for you, but if you were right for the program or maybe vice versa there, but um it's it's very much a two-way street and that that goes through the process as well so once you have identified where you want to go um you will start putting in your your application materials into forecast and ranking your programs um, as you would want them to be ranked and that's very mm-hmm. much what it is that ranking is is very very important because not not only are you ranking them but they are also ranking you and then the the algorithm you know runs and and places you where the area of best fit is essentially and it, it does in, indeed favor the candidate. Um, so it favors us as the, as the pharmacy students and, and, you know, takes our pick first. Um, but you will essentially get, you know, the match algorithm will run and, and that's where you'll be placed. So um, you, you'll rank all of those in, in forecast and, you know, the algorithm will eventually run and, and put you where, where you are to go. But um, I was going to go somewhere, but I forget what I was going to say. But that's essentially, essentially the, pro- the process. Usually programs will require... Um, three-ish things, um, your CV, um, letters of, letters of rec, and, oh gosh. Maybe like a mission oh, statement. And it, yeah, a letter of intent, thank you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, but those are the, those are the things that you'll need to put into, to forecast, and, you know, then you, then you rank, and then you, well, you interview, and then you rank, I guess. That's great. And so how many programs, I guess, do you recommend applicants apply to? You know, it it, it depends. Um, I, there's definitely a strategy and a science to it. Um, for me, I applied. Well, I, I requested. Um, I pl- applied to ten programs and got nine interviews, which I think was a. Uh, yeah, that's on like unprecedented. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was very fortunate um, in that. But I I think anywhere between the seven to you know twelve to fifteen range is is reasonable. Um, the one thing though is if. You know, you expect it. You know, you're you're happy with your CV, and you expect to get a lot of interviews. I honestly wouldn't apply to more than eight to ten because if you get all of those interviews, you are going to be exhausted um, after all of those. All you know, the travel and through, stuff. All the travel. <laughs> you're doing appies at the same time, and it, and the interviews are are taxing because they a lot of them are long. You know, four to eight hours. So, uh, it's you know, be smart about it. And and the other thing too with the application process is, um. It could be helpful to apply to programs of varying uh, prestige, I'll say, um, to kind of have have some some goal programs in mind, have some you know top tier programs that you you know want to interview at, and then maybe some smaller programs that you might be a little bit more uh, you know you would maybe be more likely to match at, and then even some smaller programs if you want to just like a catch all, you know I'll probably get this if nothing else. Kind of being smart about. Mm-hmm. Um, how you apply because I, I had a friend who was a, a great candidate um 
a, a really great candidate, super smart, uh, but applied to programs all on the West Coast, which during my year it was COVID. So there was a lot more applications going out to the West Coast because a lot of people just wanted to go there and it was accessible to them because they didn't have to travel. So mm -hmm. he, he applied to programs that just had hundreds and hundreds of applicants applying to them. And it was, you know, really by no fault of his own that he only got one interview and then ended up not matching. Um, just because wow. the the candidate pool where he was applying was uh, vast and strong. And, you know, he was a strong candidate as well, but, you know, his application just got lost in the shuffle. So the, the larger programs, large academic medical centers, they're going to get hundreds of applicants and it could be by no fault of your own that you don't, you know, don't end up getting an interview. It's just kind of the luck of the draw sometimes. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a science to ensuring that you get a residency and, and just being smart about where and how you're applying. But again, don't apply somewhere if you don't think you're a good fit for them or if they're not a good fit for you. A lot of golden nuggets right there. Um, I, I definitely agree with you. The, a, a bad application list can sink an applicant yeah. far faster than any kind of, you know, poor academic performance or something yeah. along those lines. You know, you can really screw yourself over by by picking too many you know reach programs uh like mm -hmm. you mentioned yeah um yeah like the terminology we use for medicine we use like our safety programs we use our target programs then we have our reach programs so similar thing Perfect. similar concepts it's all yeah. just the terminology changes slightly no that's great um, but yeah and i think it's super interesting too to note um and i don't know if this is the most recent statistic but i remember back in the day that pharmacy residency applications i guess like applicants had about a 60 to 66 percent chance of getting a residency program which is actually far lower than uh medical school really? uh, graduates so i thought that was super interesting so technically based off of a pure metric standpoint you know it's technically harder to get in to pharmacy residency than it is to get into medical school residency That's granted you know it might not be your program of choice but you know it's just that uh, it's interesting to think about and i don't know if that's the most recent numbers or not but i can imagine it's probably gotten even more complicated and, and yeah. harder to get in <laughs> that's that's a fascinating statistic interesting yeah yeah so i think like md applicants have like a 94 percent chance of matching into a residency mm -hmm. um and then osteopathic i think it's about 92 91 92 percent mm -hmm. so just for the listeners huh. um but uh, anyways, so, you know, we kind of talked about the number of programs you should apply to and obviously apply to the smartly and uh, don't apply to programs you don't want to end up at because that's the worst case scenario. You know, you, exactly. you do match, but then you're stuck across the country away from family and friends. And, yeah. you know, yeah. residency is hard as you were kind of going to get into in a minute. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, and it's it's true that you you may interview somewhere that might look good on, on a piece of paper and then you have the interview and you just don't get along with the preceptors or the interview just doesn't go well. And it is totally acceptable to not not rank a program, you know, when you when you go to your rank list. I, I think that was something that I I did mistakenly as I ranked a program that I knew I wouldn't have been happy at. And fortunately, I you know didn't end up there, but it was possible that I could have and I, I would not have been happy. And if you're not happy at your residency, you're just not going to do well. It's not going to be good for you. It's not, not going to be a good year. You're not going to flourish in that environment, especially if they're, you're met with constant, I guess, um, you know, barriers and, yeah. and difficult yeah. uh, preceptors. So kind of, I mean, that's a good segue right there. For applicants who are preparing for like residency interviews, mm -hmm. what are some things that you would recommend? Obviously, like getting to know the program, but um, is there any extra like, you know, tidbits you'd like to explore? Like what yeah. should students look for in residency programs when they're applying? Yeah, what should they ask? So, sorry, was was the, the question preparing for interviews or or what what should you be looking for? Because I think those are you know two different questions. Yeah, we can unpack both. both if you want. Both. Um, you know, do one at a time, whatever is easier. Sorry, this is a long question. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. Yeah, those are both both two two very dense questions. So I just want to make sure we're going down the right path. I think first, I'll, I'll start with you know what you should look for in a program, and I think it, that is definitely high, highly variable depending on your program. But some some uh, maybe across the board things that I think are are important is one is geography. I think it's kind of the layup. Um, and if, if you're someone who is not, you know, limited by geography, great. If you're willing to travel, that is that is awesome. Um, for me, I, I was and that that was fine. And I just had to be smart about the programs that I was applying to in a particular area. But if you really, you know, don't go somewhere that you're not going to be happy in just because, like we said, you won't flourish in, in that area. And that goes for not only the hospital system and the preceptors, but also the geographical location. If you're you know, from Southern California your whole life and you want to go to Wisconsin for some reason, uh, you know, <laughs> just, just think about the snow for a second before you go. 
Um, <laughs> but all jokes, all jokes aside, that's one thing, and I think is, is maybe a minor thing for a lot of people. Um, but other things that are are important are again uh, what the program can offer you. So what are your interests? And maybe you don't know as a, a pharmacy student, but if you have a couple in mind, um, that is really, really important to identify first before looking at programs. So for me, I was interested in oncology and uh, critical care at the time of applying for residencies. And I really only uh, applied to places that could offer me a good experience in both of those things. Um, Hopkins having, you know, five, six, maybe seven ICUs, if you include uh, pediatrics and um, numerous uh, inpatient, not patient oncology experiences. It was, uh, you know, really a good fit for, for me in that perspective. And also something that's good to look at is if, if uh, programs offer early commitment to PGY2 programs. Um, if you know you want to do a PGY2 early on, it could be really, really beneficial to to be in a program mm -hmm. that offers that. Because if you if your first your first year goes well and you're you're doing great with the preceptors and you know that you want to stay there for a second year. It makes the process so much easier to, to go through an early commitment process rather than going through the match again for a PGY2. So that's something that's really important. Other things to, to think about and ask residency programs that may, might not be on the forefront of your mind when you're um, looking at programs, but will be very real for you when you get into um, residency is what the on-call program is like. Um, Hopkins has an on-call program. Most larger um, health systems will, and it could look... Uh, very different. Some places still do 24-hour call for pharmacy residents. Others don't. Hopkins does it. And that, you know, I didn't really apply to any places that did do 24-hour call. <laughs> Avoid 24-hour call. <laughs> you know, some people, some people like it. I actually have some, some colleagues who came from other institutions to PGY2 colleagues now that, that had it and they didn't, didn't mind it at all. And they thought it was a good learning experience. That's good for them. Um, so, you know, some people, <laughs> you know, it, it could be good and beneficial, but I, honestly, Hopkins on-call program, I think is incredibly beneficial. We essentially, uh, you know, 13 to 14 times a year, we will uh, cover the code pager pretty much for an evening shift. So last year for my PGY1, it was 4 to 11 p.m. Now it's, you know, 4 to 10 p.m. They changed it this year based on resident feedback, which was great. Nice. Um, but uh, we are, are covering the code pager for the whole hospital. So we're responding all codes and also uh, traumas and medicals that come into the uh, emergency emergency department. And for me, that, that's been an incredibly rewarding experience. I've gotten to see a lot of really cool things and, and have, you know, built a lot of poise under those high ten high pressure situations. Um, which is something that I wouldn't trade for for anything. It was a, a really beneficial thing. So that's something that, that I enjoy. And truthfully, I, I didn't know that we really had that before, uh, you know, matching to the program. It wasn't something that I was really <laughs> thinking about. Um, so that's something important. And then also what the the staffing component of a, a residency program looks like. Some places on-call program would just be like an evening a week uh, staffing, which is, you know, fine. And that's good experience in the pharmacy. Some places do working every other weekend. Some places do every third, every fourth. Some places offer comp days, others don't. Um, if you do are, are going to a residency program that is every other weekend for, for staffing, having that comp day is really, really, really important. Um, for me, I wouldn't consider a place that did every other weekend without a comp day, because 12 days in a row every other week is exhausting and you know you kind of get fatigued mentally. And when you're fatigued mentally, you just, you can't learn as much as you can, as, you know, mm -hmm. as well as you should be able to. So that was something that was important for me. Might not be important for all, but, um, just something to think about what that that's going to look like for you. That's awesome. <laughs> a lot of good information there. I recommend everyone rewinds that and, and kind of <laughs> takes all those nuggets away. Cause like you said, there's some hidden gems um, with programs or like things that you could potentially ask about maybe in a, a interview setting, um, yeah. you know, obviously be respectful and say, Oh, you have 24, like, Oh, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, you know, it's important to explore those things because you do have to advocate for yourself. Yeah. And, and that is by no means an extensive list. I mean, you know, something that also is important to me was having a large residency class, which, um, mm -hmm. you know, we have 31, 31 or 32, I can't remember the exact number now, uh, residents between both PGY1s and PGY2s at Hopkins. So having, it's like kind of forced friendship on all those people and they're all really awesome and we hang out all the time. And it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's great to have that camaraderie and versus some places, you know, you might be the only resident, which is also fine, you know, that having all that one-on-one -on -one time with preceptors and getting all that focus on you is, is another great benefit. So it's really what you want, but you know, there's a lot of other, other factors that can weigh into it as well. Yeah. Definitely having the community to, to kind of, I guess you could call it shared trauma with your residents, but um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's just nice to have someone who kind of understands what you're going through exactly. at that particular time, who, you know, appreciates all the work that you do, or you have someone you can back you up if you need to get a day off or yeah. need to kind of move your schedule around. So definitely. yeah, it's definitely nice to have that. I can imagine. Mm -hmm. um so i guess like oh yeah go ahead 
I was say I think that the, do you want to unpack the second piece of that question is preparing for interviews or yeah yeah let's do that as well so so I think uh the 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 big things and like I said this before the preparation for interviews kind of starts before the interview process if if you could have conversations with program directors or, or preceptors or other residents prior to interviews at at local conferences or if you're you know presenting research you know going to to programs you know uh, uh poster presentations that you um be interested in could could be really beneficial so if you can start that process early that's great um the other things are is just coming with with thoughtful questions um things that you you obviously i'm sure everybody on this podcast has heard this before but you know going into a uh, uh an interview knowing the information that's on the website and avoiding asking those questions because it's going to show that you didn't prepare if you're asking those questions which, yeah that's dangerous you know, that's an obvious one but you know something that i feel just needs needs to be said um but but then having thoughtful questions about um what the program if, if you're a person who's asking questions that you know the the program can tell that you are trying to find what is your best fit where you are going to fit in the most that will go a long way um and just being being personal open and honest with with the people that you're interviewing with um really just does go a long way if, if you can you know kind of make like i i don't know if this is going to come off correctly but like an emotional connection with the people you're interviewing with it it really does resonate uh, mm -hmm. with people because at the end of the end of the day it's a you know it's a popularity contest it's a it's a people game um you know Absolutely. your cv speaks for itself and and as long as you could talk to that and and have an open conversation about it you're going to do well and then a lot of programs will uh require you to do some sort of presentation so making sure to to develop a you know, a well thought out presentation, practice your presentation, you know, you don't want to stumble through it <laughs> during the interview. So go through it a couple of times um, is really important uh, too. Yeah, especially all those little details, you know, that they always talk about with, um, you know, eye contact, body yeah. language, that kind of stuff, make sure yeah. you practice that as well. Um, yeah. Because you won't realize, oh, you know, you're fiddling with a pencil for the entire interview, that's, that's probably gonna hurt you. <laughs> yeah, it will, it will. It's those little things that matter, really. Absolutely. And kind of adding on to that as well, would you, this is more of an extension, I guess, of an early interview component, but how, how do you think like appy rotations kind of fall in line with interviewing a program? Does that help? Yeah. Uh, would you recommend people kind of, in medicine, we call these sub eyes essentially, where you're interviewing okay. for a month long because you you want to go to that program. How does that kind of fall in line with the, the helping with interviews? Yeah, that's, that's great. And honestly, something I should have mentioned earlier, if you if you can do an appy at a place you're interested in doing a residency at, that will that will go that will speak more than any interview you could possibly have with the program. Because like you said, it's a month-long interview with the place. They can know how you work, they can know the quality of your work before you're actually a candidate there. And that was, I think, something that was really beneficial for me is I did a um rotation as an appy at Hopkins um prior to matching there. And I think it was, you know, one of the driving factors uh uh, that allowed me to match here and just knowing what the interview process looks like at Hopkins there have been a, at least one candidate that I could think of that they had a rotation here and they just did ex extraordinarily well um, and they were you know keeping pace with PGY2 residents at the time that they were on rotation with and, and that resonated with preceptors and, and preceptors will go to bat for people that they know who will succeed at the program so if you can have that that experience and and you know go the next step and get letters of recommendations from preceptors at that institution if you're still interested in doing residency there that will that will do so much for you as a candidate uh, you know it's really even hard to put into words how much that would do for you <laughs> it speaks magnitudes for it sure does. it does so we've talked a lot of it uh, about like your you know how to get into residency and stuff and obviously on match day you got into johns hopkins and i'm sure you were you know elated to to see that is there anything? Like 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pure stress and anxiety and then you open that letter and then it's you know wow it's my whole really, life just yeah. changed just like that yep <laughs> <laughs> so it's i'm sure it's an incredible experience i, I hopefully i look forward to that same situation <laughs> all the confidence that you will but um so i guess before starting residency do you recommend anything to to i guess uh graduates who now are in the process of starting residency what do you recommend they do to kind of build up for some of these big opportunities? You know, this might be their first job. It might be their first intense, intense job experience. So is there like, do you recommend reading boards or just pure relaxation or something else? <laughs> that's, that's a, a great question. So I, I think it's, it depends where you are in your career, you know, before getting into residency, if you're doing the traditional route of, um, you know, you, you graduate pharmacy school and then you immediately go into residency. 
um, might look a little bit different than if you've been practicing for a year or two and then you go back to residency, which is, you know, certainly a viable option. And I've, I've known people who do that. Um, uh, but if, you, if you're, you know, doing what I did, the tr more traditional route and graduate pharmacy school, um, that, you know, month or two that you're going to have off between, uh, you know, school and, and residency, the biggest thing that you can do for yourself is just, you know, get licensed before uh, going mm -hmm. into residency. Um, for me, I think there, you know, there were some logistical complications that, you know, I didn't actually get licensed until like the deadline of the day that my program re required me to be licensed. Um, <laughs> and yeah, stress. And I was studying for, uh, you know, the um, NAPLEX and the MPJE during, you know, while I was training at Hopkins and while I was, you know, kind of getting my feet under me and learning all of the operations and, and logistics of, of being a pharmacist, which was, was a little bit challenging. You're going to you, you do a lot better if you don't have that on your plate. And, and my colleagues who were licensed before residency, um, they were just having a lot better time in those first couple of months of residency and, and getting adjusted. <laughs> so I think that's probably the, the best thing that you can do for yourself, um, you know, you know, before you start residency. But if you can take a take a vacation or two or, you know, week or two vacation before starting residency, do it. Why not? You know, you're not you're not going to be doing a whole lot uh, in between pharmacy school and, and residency other than getting licensed. So if you could do both, I would would highly recommend it. Just, you know, kind of de-stress before, you know, the next year or two of your life are kind of a whirlwind. Exactly. That's, that's such good advice right there. Yeah. Getting the boards taken care of ahead of time might be worth the sacrifice to at the end of your app rotations, you know, put in those hours then because at least, yep. you know, you, you're, you've already gotten a residency position likely at that point. So, yep. you know, that can kind of go to the wayside to, to some extent, obviously still pass, but yeah. <laughs> you're kind of locked in at that point. So exactly. don't, don't make your residency life exactly. terrible. <laughs> and and you're the next year of your life will be spent, you know, learning how to be a pharmacist and, and you know, learning materials. So what you'll be able to, you know, come up with by yourself in the months before, residency if you're trying to you know get a head start on things this isn't gonna it's gonna pale in comparisons to what you learn as a resident so there's really no need to to do that prior if that makes sense <laughs> yeah please don't read like the residency manuals like book you know ahead <laughs> a month ahead and memorize every word that's not going to go far <laughs> oh, yeah. your, your program will make sure that you know that by heart <laughs> uh, all right i stand corrected <laughs> um so all right so you've had a whole year of residency experience thus far in your pgy1 what was that like for you especially at Johns Hopkins. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think I listened to to one of your episodes last night. I think it was episode five with the um, senior resident who was going to cardiothoracic surgery. And a lot of the things that he said, you know, were similar to the experiences that I had. You know, that first first month, you know, that first clinical rotation that you're on, your first day on rounds, your imposter syndrome is real. You're going to feel out of place. You're going to feel like you don't know anything. Uh, and it's, you know, it's going to be scary. Um, for sure. That's, that's like, I think one of the largest, uh, barriers that I'm pharmacy residents and I'm sure medical residents go through, um, you know, in your first couple of weeks and couple of months through residency. And, uh, you know, it's, it's scary, especially at Hopkins is an institution that, you know, values independence, I'll say, and, and I value independence as well. And I think that's one of the best things that, you know, a program can do for a candidate is giving the, giving them the freedom to, learn that they are an independent practitioner and they have the abilities to do that but it's a scary thing to realize um so it's it's a it's a challenging transition going from from student to resident pharmacist but you know especially in the, the post-covid world communication is very easy um so if you're, you're on rounds and you have a question uh you know a preceptor is always a team's message away or you know whatever messaging software your health system is using using so it's it's kind of nice to have that that parachute so to speak but it's a challenging experience um there's on, on top of that, you're also, you know, getting tons and tons of projects that you have to, you know, manage and, and you know, set time aside for. And it could be a little overwhelming at first, um, but it really does help you grow as a practitioner and grow as a, you know, grow as a leader, grow, grow in um, your own project management skills and time management skills. So it's it's definitely a process and the process is there to, you know, make you somewhat uncomfortable, but that's that's what helps you grow at the end of the day. And you know, really what that experience felt like as, as the residency year uh, went on, there was like, in in August of my, my PGO one year, my preceptor described it as there's going to be, you know, two or three moments throughout the year that something's just going to click and you're going to wake up the next day and you're going to feel completely different than than the day prior. And that was the, the truest statement I've ever heard in my life. It was, for me, it was, you know, after that first rotation, I felt really good about myself. I don't know that that was necessarily a click, but I felt like I, I was, you know, on top of things-ish. 
And then in December of, of my PGY one year, so about a year ago today, I just kind of woke up one day halfway through the month and I was like, whoa, I have learned so much, uh, so much in these past four or five months of doing rotations. And I, you know, starting to build some confidence. I actually felt like I, I knew what I was doing for once. And that that was kind of the first moment that I was like, I was like, wow, this process really works. And it's, you know, it was really compelling at the time and still is. And then it was later on in April that I was like, okay, I, I am now ready to be a PGY2. I am ready to specialize in something. I feel very comfortable with with medicine. I feel incredibly comfortable, you know, uh, voicing my opinion. And when my opinion is met with resistance, backing up my opinion, and mm-hmm. I'm ready to do, you know, take the next step and, and you know, you know, become more specialized in, in a content area. So that the the process, it, it really works. And there's, you know, very tangible moments throughout the year that you're going to say, wow, this is, this is a feeling that I didn't expect. And, you know, you're going to be a different person at the end of it. And when I heard that as, you know, a, a person coming into residency, I was, I was uh, a little skeptical of it, that, that I would actually be a different person at the end of it. But it's, it's really true that you will be, um, and, and you'll be a lot better for it. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. Like you had this epiphany moment where you're like, oh my goodness, I'm still here. They haven't fired me. Like <laughs> I've actually, yeah. and you look back and you're like, wow, how did I even survive the first month? And I'll yeah. look where I am now. Where and, I can oh, make... I'm smart. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I can make clinical decisions on the yeah. spot. Like, and I what? can defend them. Like, this is crazy with literature. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, oh. it's really, it's a really fascinating experience, but that's kind of what it felt like for me. Oh, that's awesome. And I think too, like, like you said, a lot of people, when they start off on this big journey, they're going to be scared. And you look at to yourself and you see like the attending or like the, the chief pharmacist, you know, calling the shots and doing it with such like poise and confidence. Yeah. And you're like, that, that can never be me. And then, you know, you have to think to yourself, like to put things in perspective, like that yeah. individual right there mm-hmm. was in my shoes at some point, exactly. feeling the same thing that I'm feeling. And you know, they've kind of been through the crucible to get to that point. And, you know, that's what residency is, mm-hmm. but you come out a lot stronger because of it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm curious to know, um, well, PGY1 is pretty, pretty broad in the sense that you kind of travel around and do a lot of different rotations, correct? Yeah. Um, correct. And how... that was actually advice I got from one of my mentors uh, at the beginning of the year when I was picking rotations was to, w- with the lens that I knew I wanted to do either critical care and oncology, uh, to not do those things during my PGY one year outside of what was required and maybe one or two rotations and those things to solidify that that was what I wanted to do and take rotations that would support uh, support my future career path that isn't, you know, directly related. So for me, you know, when I knew I wanted to do oncology, I took an infectious disease rotation because our patients are immunocompromised and get crazy infections. Mm-hmm. I took a pain and palliative care rotation because our patients are in pain and, and they need that support. So I took you know, rotations that were, you know, strategically placed around what was going to help me succeed in a second year that weren't necessarily exactly that. Like the advice wasn't to take 10 oncology rotations my PGY one year because I was going to get that experience in a PGY two. Exactly. Oh, that's really good advice right there. And so they give you some, obviously you can't choose everything, but they give you some opportunity to kind of pick and choose a couple elective spots. Is that how it works? Yeah. So that's going to change from, from program to program for sure. But Hopkins was actually incredibly flexible in that we actually only have, as far as your, you know, your core rotations, your, uh, you know, month to month rotations, I'll say we actually only had two, two required. We had um, uh, internal medicine was required and an ICU was required. But outside of that, we we had the freedom to pick really whatever we wanted to do, um, That's awesome. which was great. And and Hopkins has pharmacists so well embedded in pretty much every service. So we had, excuse me, opportunities to do um, a number of different things. Like I said, infectious disease, pain, palliative care, transplant. We have you know kidney transplant, liver transplant, heart transplant, lung transplant, um, surgery rotations, oncology rotations, ambulatory oncology rotations, pediatric rotations. I mean, we have had uh, you know pre- pretty much a pick of anything that we wanted to, any specialty we wanted to see. We had the opportunity to do it. Um, so that was one benefit of a, a large academic medical center setting, and that's not you know unique to Hopkins by any means. That's awesome. And so obviously because of that, you were able to experience a lot of different things and at the same time kind of cross off that, you know, kind of reassure that you wanted to do oncology. Yes. So obviously you knew that you wanted to do oncology. So you, it sounds like you did the early commit process. Um, Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if you'll be able to comment too much on it, but how uh, do you know anything about like a PGY2 application and what that's like Um, if you want to do early commit and maybe you can talk a little bit more about early commit. Yeah, I think so for the PGY2 application process, if you're at a place that doesn't have early commitment, it's largely the same as as your PGY1 application process. So I think most people will be 
relatively familiar with it, with one notable difference, maybe two, maybe two two considerations to make um, before committing to a PGY two or interviewing for PGY two positions. The first is that if you are at a place that gives you flexibility in your rotation schedule, try to do at least one, maybe two, if you're you know applying externally, um, rotations in areas that you want to to pursue. So if you want to do critical care, it would be beneficial to you, for you to you know have a you know one or two critical care rotations, or maybe even critical care and emergency med emergency medicine rotation prior to that interview process, just so that you have something to speak on. Um, when you get to interviews, you know, interventions that you've made, patients that you've seen, stuff okay. like that. Just make sure you have that experience under your belt so that, you you know, you could go to a program and say, I am confident that I want to do this because I've had this experience and I will do well at your program because I've had this experience, so to speak. So that's the first thing. The other thing, too, is is um, going through the, the uh, PPS process, professional placement service process at um, ASHP mid-year. A lot of programs... Uh, you know, this is, again, a, a smaller intimate setting that you could talk to um, program directors and preceptors at um, and, and you know, get them to know your face and, and things that you've done and where you've come from and, and how your year is going and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, even to, to the point where some programs won't actually even consider candidates if they didn't PPS for their program. So that's just that's the other notable difference. But I think otherwise the, the process is the same. And I, you know, maybe I'm missing something because I didn't actually go through that process. But that's mm -hmm. my understanding of of the two notable differences from the PGY1 interviews. But for an early commitment process, um, again, this might look slightly different depending on your program, but essentially how it worked at Hopkins was um, we had the opportunity to, you know, uh, you know, formally express our interest in a program. And then from there, we would uh, um, in interview with that program as normal. So for oncology, we had five separate interviews with different uh, groups of people ranging from the preceptors to the program directors to um, higher leadership within the health system. Um, and and based on those those five interviews and a letter of intent in our CV, um, we would either be offered the position or not offer the position. Um, but what, what is generally, generally accepted as the correct thing to do is to take a rotation in that specialty area um, prior to the early commitment process. So for me, I took a, a medical oncology rotation, which is essentially um, internal medicine with an oncology spin um, in an inpatient setting. Um, so mm -hmm. I took that, that was my first rotation of, of residency and I loved it. And that was what, you know, confirmed my decision to pursue oncology. Um, uh, and, and then, yeah, the rest was history. Wow. And so now you're a PGY2 oncology resident. Correct. Can you walk us through a little bit about, I, I guess, like, what does the average day look like for you? I know it's going to change with every rotation mm -hmm. you're on, um, yeah. you know, but maybe you could tell us about like kind of what, what the expectation is each day and maybe you could share one of the harder rotations you've had or maybe one of the easier ones. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, a, a great question. Um, and honestly, something that's super important because this was not, I'm going to say something that is, it was not apparent to me and I think is very beneficial for, for your audience to hear. Um, PGY2 is way harder than PGY1. <laughs> don't, uh, don't go into PGY2 thinking it's going to be the same because it's not. The, the stakes are raised and the expectations are higher. Um, so don't do something if you're not 100 percent sure that you want to do it. You know, you got you got to you have to have a passion for for something before you before you pursue a PGY two because it, it is it is a difficult process. The stakes are are for sure raised. Um, but a typical day uh, for oncology oncology is unique in that there is a large um, ambulatory component to it as well. Um, a lot of chemotherapy um, is being transitioned to the outpatient setting, and a lot of mm -hmm. uh, cancer treatment is being we're utilizing oral chemotherapy for, for treatment. So there's kind of a, and it's not necessarily recent, but it is a shift that's happening at the moment that there's less of an inpatient focus and more of an ambulatory focus. Um, so our program at Hopkins is, is designed to reflect that. So it's um, uh, set up about 50% inpatient and 50% outpatient. So depending on the, the rotation in the month, the, the day will look uh, pretty different, but our first three rotations were were inpatient, so rotating between the leukemia service, the lymphoma and uh, BMT service, mm -hmm. and, and the medical oncology service was our, our first three um, rotations. And the day typically looks like, you know, how your normal uh, inpatient rotation experience would look as you, you go in in the morning um, at whatever time you need to to, to pre-round. You pre-round, you learn your patients, you come up with your recommendations, and then you go to rounds at uh, a lot of our rounds started at 8.30, which was really nice. Um, some are earlier, some are later, um, depending on what specialty you want to go into. But that was what it was for us. 
um, go to rounds, you know, participate in rounds, make your recommendations, um, chat with the team. Some, some teams do, um, you know, a post post rounds, uh, debrief, so to speak. Um, and you know, you, you do that, you, you know, take care of, take care of all your patients. And then sometime at some point in the afternoon, you meet up with a preceptor, talk about, you know, the recommendations that you made or, or ask any questions that you have, present your patients. Um, and then, you know, you go from there if you have to follow up on any things uh, in the afternoon, whether that's just extra things that you, you know, didn't get to bring up on rounds or following up with TDM uh, or, you know, anything that comes up throughout the day, you know, you get a secure, secure chat from your team with questions, answering those questions, fielding those questions. Uh-huh. Or if you if you don't have any of those things coming up, um, working on projects, which there are, are no shortage of uh, in PGY2 year, um, projects and presentations will, will be a large component of your PGY2. Um, so there's sometimes in the afternoon on an inpatient rotation, you'll have time time to do that. And things will look different if you're on an ambul- ambulatory rotation. If, you know, patients don't, you know, start showing up to clinic until, you know, nine o'clock-ish. And, uh, you know, you have the, the flexibility to sleep in a little bit, but you're taking care of things more throughout the day. It's kind of a sp- more sporadic as patients will be coming into clinic at different times. Or, you know, you're calling patients and, and coordinating their oral chemotherapy and you know, everybody has a different schedule. So it's maybe a little bit less regimented if you're on an ambulatory rotation where you're just kind of, you know, coming in the morning and then dealing with the tasks as they come and as patients come in the clinic. So mm-hmm. it looks different from that perspective. And you just kind of have to be, you know, cognizant of time, your time, your patient's time and and time management skills with, with managing your projects and presentations. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I, from, you know, outside of perspective, I would think like the the hospital would be a little more chaotic than an ambulatory right. setting, but that seems not to be the case. And I think that's and super cool. It, it certainly can be chaotic. You know, at you on our inpatient rotations, we're required to carry the code pager for for one week during uh, our inpatient rotations. Which you know, if you're trying to deal with your patients and then code, the code pager is going off and you're going to other patients, it could be could be hectic for sure. Um, but <laughs> it's often a little bit more regimented than an, an ambulatory rotation is. You know, because just because things can happen at any point in the day with the, you know in the ambulatory setting. Awesome. And and so I guess as a, a PGY2 oncology resident, what you've seen a bunch of things now at this point that you're, you know, almost halfway through. What kind of specialty do you actually want to end up in specific to oncology? Yeah, that's a that's a, a perfect question. And especially for this time of year, as we're starting to, you know, we went through the PPS process and we're starting to apply for jobs. And uh my my passion, my interest is uh Heme malignancies. So leukemias and lymphomas are what I find interesting and, and what I would like to do with my life. And honestly, for me, a, an ideal position is something that rotates between um, the inpatient and the ambulatory setting. Because like I said at the beginning of uh, the the discussion today is, you know, those patient interactions are uh, something that is valuable to me, especially in an oncology population who are so engaged in their care because they have to be, because they're scared and because they need that support. Um, and that's something that we could really offer um, as pharmacists. So I don't, I don't ever want to lose that. So I, I hope to have some ambulatory experience, but I really do, you know, my passion, I would say is for, for inpatient care. So some sort of uh, rotating inpatient outpatient um, heme onc position is my dream, dream, dream position at the moment. And that's what I'm pursuing um, as I'm applying for, uh, for, you know, jobs in this next couple of weeks. Wow. That's awesome. And I think that's interesting too, because from my experience at Hopkins, when I was there for rotations, I remember on those inpatient services for BMT, you know, these patients are there for guaranteed one month um, after getting all this care because Mm -hmm. they have to be kind of supported through that, the chemotherapy process. So Mm -hmm. you, like you said, you really, really get to know some of these patients because they're, you spent a whole month of their life to like Mm -hmm. with them. And oh, you yeah. see them every single day. So, you know, you, you go off for a day and they, they, you come back Monday. They're like, where were you? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, you're supposed to be here. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's so true, especially, and that's why I want an ambulatory component too. Cause you'll have, you know, somebody comes in, you know, screaming hot sick with, with an acute leukemia and you, you fix them up in, in the inpatient setting and give them chemotherapy that you, they stay for a month, like you said, and you get to know them. And then, you know, you discharge them eventually. And, you know, sometimes if you, if you're all inpatient, you can kind of lose, lose track of them. But if you're in the ambulatory setting, you, you know, you're helping dealing with their, their oral oncolytics or they're coming in for transfusions and you can get to go see them again and really see them, see them through um, the continuity of care. And then, you know, they're going to get a transplant after their leukemia potentially, and you can follow them through that process. And then eventually you'll see them cured one day. So it's having both of those components is, is could be really cool and really rewarding. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So I guess you've kind of been through, you know, your six months at this point, 
you're you're definitely more comfortable with the the position that you're in do you find yourself having time to to work on the outside or to like i guess enjoy any hobbies that you have yeah uh i would say you know like i said pty2 is a lot harder than pty1 so i think i was able to do a little bit more with my time as a, as a pty pty1 resident um but this year is something that that maybe is unique to me i actually got married at the beginning of the year um so now it's this year has been trying to find that balance of you know you know spending time at work and being good with my time management um, getting my, my stuff at work done and also building my life outside of it. And my wife and I have been, you know, kind of working together to, uh, you know, figure out a schedule that works for us and, and, you know, just kind of plan things out and the times that we can spend together. So there's definitely an active component to it. I'll say is of finding that balance. You know, if, if you aren't smart about your time, you might not have, have good work, work life balance, but if you are smart about your time and you're willing to make some sacrifices, you can certainly do do things outside of work. And then it, again, maybe your different PGY2 programs will have different expectations and maybe some will have more or less uh, work-life balance. But for me, something that, that is helpful for me is I just put everything that I'm going to do with my life on my calendar. I'm, you know, very regimented like that, just so I could visualize it. And, and that has helped me understand when I'm going to do things, the time I have allotted to do things, if that's enough or not. And then using that other time to, to, you know, do do hobbies whether that's you know something i i love to do is rock climb and and cook those are kind of my two you know mm -hmm. main hobbies and I've, I've certainly had times uh times this year that i've been able to do those those things and times this year that i've been i said you know i can't actually do this this week because i have to you know focus on work there's ebbs and flows in residency and you'll see that as you get into to medical residency i'm sure and and it's true mm -hmm. i imagine for most pharmacy programs so there will be times that you're saying wow i wish i could do this thing but i have to do this work and you know being disciplined enough to do that knowing that at, once you finish this thing, you'll have time to do what you want to do. So I think, you know, I, I wouldn't expect to have to do, to, you know, to be able to 100% focus on a hobby if that's what you want to do if you're in a residency program. But if you're smart about your time, and you're, you know, diligent, you will have time to do those things. So it's, it's very much an active process, but um, you could do it if you're, if you're efficient. Absolutely. There's definitely some give and take. And, uh, you know, you're at that stage where you're six months out. It's very tangible that you're going to mm -hmm. have some free time in the future. So you're probably <laughs> just like, I can buckle down for the next six months. I've already done a year and a half. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, great. So we're coming to the end of the interview. And um, I just want to ask, you know, one final question. So mm -hmm. obviously, you're on the podcast here, because you have a lot of, you know, life experience, a lot of knowledge to help other students. How do you plan on helping others kind of continue and follow in your footsteps? Do you stay involved in the community? Do you plan mm -hmm. on going to more, you know, conferences in the future? Something along those lines. Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful question. Um, and something that I think I really have an affinity for is uh, teaching and precepting. And something that was, um, you know, really, really beneficial for me was that that rotation um, at Hopkins that I had mentioned that I took. Um you know, that, that rotation actually was an inpatient hemonc rotation. And it was kind of from that experience that I, I knew that this was the, the direction that I wanted to go. And I would love to be able to offer that experience to, um, you know, students and, and anybody who is interested uh, uh, in pharmacy or oncology even. Um, so hopefully being at an institution uh, where I have the opportunity to precept, I, I want that to be a large portion of my career. Um, because I love it and I want to offer people that, that experience. So precepting is something that I'm actively looking for in a place of employment. If I have the opportunity to be involved in a school of pharmacy, um, and, and come in as, as adjunct faculty and give lectures, I would, would love that if I have an opportunity to be, um, uh, involved with student organizations at, uh, schools of pharmacy, I would 100% do that. And that would be something that is high on my list in, in looking for um, you know, jobs in the future, and also being involved with uh, professional organizations. The Hematology Oncology Pharmacy Association, HOPA, is uh, very prevalent in our uh, program. It's something that we are involved in and we'll eventually uh, present our research at um, in a couple of months here. So being involved in those organizations is going to be, you know, the forefront of my, my career once I, once I, you know, have a position and I'm able to be established. So I'm looking to be involved in those things. But I think, like I said, offering those uh, experiences to students um, and, you know, teaching them about oncology and, and you know, showing why this is a, a very rewarding, very fulfilling career path um, as much as I can throughout my career is something that I'm, you know, actively looking for.
Yeah, I love that. I think it would be so great to just like yourself going back and teaching at, you know, Duquesne or at one of these, you know, pharmacy universities or even just doing a couple of guest lectures here and there. Yeah. I think it would just be a super rewarding process. I, I think it also keeps us young in the sense that we're kind of forced to stay clinically relevant. Uh -huh. yeah, so absolutely. I think that's a great way to to do that. And it and it doesn't uh it doesn't stop at pharmacy students too. I can't tell you how many uh uh, medical interns that I've had discussions with about this year, like, hey, guys, leukemia is awesome. You should do it. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all like, I don't know. But I'm like, guys, no, do it. I, you know, having those conversations with, with with medical residents, too, is always a lot of fun, too. Jeez, man, you're convincing me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have thought about it um, pretty extensively, but it is a long track. So we'll we'll see sure. how things turn out. <laughs> sure. And there's a lot of great stuff out there. So, you know, do your due diligence and find what you like. But hey, leukemia is always a great thing. Absolutely. So, all right, we've come to the end of our interview, and I'd like to take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners for the support. If you have any additional questions about the medical school journey, you can check out my website at www.physicianpharmacist.com. For more information about medical or uh, pharmacy residencies, obviously, you should reach out to uh, Dr. Scalota. And uh, Dan, how can our listeners get in touch with you or learn more about you? Yeah, I think the, the easiest and best way is via email. Um, so I don't know if you want to put it in the in the show notes or something like that, but yep. uh, dscalode1, D-S-K-O-L-O-D-1 at jhmi.edu is, is a great place. If you have questions, feel free to, feel free to reach out. Um, yep. Might not be an incredibly prompt response, but I will get back to you eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Make sure you send him all of your residency questions. <laughs> now your email is going to blow up. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll drop those in the show notes so everyone will have access to that as well. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Dan. I know you're extremely busy. You have to go into work later today, and I'm fortunate enough to be on vacation, so that kind of sucks for you. <laughs> well, thank you for having me, Dr. Gertland. It's I... a great conversation. I you know, enjoy the opportunity to be in here. All right, man. I appreciate you today uh, for coming on, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your, your Christmas holiday. Thank you. You as well, and enjoy the rest of your vacation, too. Soak it up while it lasts. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's too short. All right. Take care, man. You too, man.